0: Sing great. Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. We're glad you've been with us for our study through the Revelation, and we close this study today and do so echoing John's words, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's join Pastor Phil now as he brings us our final teaching from the book of Revelation.
1: Verse 12, he quickly adds, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And here I have to believe the emphasis is not on the unbeliever now as in verse 11, but on the believer. Because I believe what Jesus is saying here is he's talking to his church. And he is telling his church that at the time of the rapture, we're going to be caught up to heaven. You know, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, taken right into heaven where we are going to stand before him at his bema seat, right? Uh, His bema seat is the judgment seat of Christ. And what are we going to be doing there? We're going to be getting our rewards. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to their what? work. Because once you receive Christ, you're heaven bound. Now what's going to be determined the rest of your life is how you serve him and the rewards you accumulate because of what you've done for his name. So we're going to receive our golden crowns, our rewards once he comes for us at the rapture. Verse 13, Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And again, this ties us back to chapter 1, which was a prologue, which was introducing Jesus uh, as the one giving John this revelation. Of course, the term Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, these are titles for God that take us even back into the Old Testament. Because we read in Isaiah and other places that God called himself the first and the last, right? Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It signifies the fact that God started everything and God's going to finish everything. We know of Jesus Christ that He created all things. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, but He is the source, the beginning of the creation of God. The word there is a word that means source. He brought everything into existence. And because he's God, he can he's going to culminate everything exactly the way he wants. So everything God begins, he finishes. God never leaves anything undone. He who has begun a good work in you is going to do what? He's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. Alright? Nobody gets saved and begins. God begins a work, a work of construction in our life and then all of a sudden it abandons it. He's always working. Now, we have a part in that and if we are not willing to walk with God faithfully and we're not in the word the construction process can take quite a bit longer but God is always working as much as we allow him and because he's God he doesn't force us to be sanctified he urges us he admonishes us to walk worthy to draw close to him every day so he can do the work he wants to do making us like Christ but a lot of that's up to us These are titles for God, and Jesus is claiming his divinity here. But verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. If you love me, what? Who is he talking to in John 13? Unbelievers? No, believers. So the idea that those who do his commandments... He's not talking about salvation by works. He's just simply saying, if you love me, if you're really one of mine, you're going to keep my commandments. And so those that are seen keeping his commandments, they are the ones who are genuinely saved, and they have a right to the tree of life. And they may enter through the gates into the city. Now, as I said earlier, the Garden of Eden was the original location for the tree of life. And God had it in the garden next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by the way. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Now the Trinity is talking among themselves. And Adam and Eve have just eaten the forbidden fruit, and they have fallen. Behold, the man has become like one of us, God says, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he drove out man and placed cherubim, at the east of the garden of eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life now again i'd like to tell you i know exactly what all of this means all as i know is this in the garden of eden there were a lot of trees two of them are named one was the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the other was the tree of life God said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, there must have been thousands, if not millions of trees in the garden. I mean, it wasn't like there was a lack of food, all right? Uh, But, you know, as soon as God said, you can't do one thing, man was drawn to that one thing and didn't take long before he did it and fell. And so now God says, look, man has become like one of us, the Godhead speaking to itself, knowing good and evil. Unless he take his hand now and eat from the tree of life, we better two cherubim, two cherubs, cherubim, to guard the tree of life so man doesn't reach out and take of that fruit and eat. The implication seems to be if man was to eat from the tree of life in his fallen state, he would go on forever as an unregenerate, fallen creature who could never be redeemed. You say, I don't understand that. I don't quite get it myself. But that seems to be what what God is saying here. That when man ate of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and fell God didn't want him to eat from the tree of life and go on forever in that fallen state and so he put angels there to protect the tree to keep it from from man but now we see it here after the plan of redemption has been worked out and Jesus has lived and died and those who have received Christ of all that would receive Christ are in heaven now we see the tree of life planted now in the New Jerusalem and now God encourages us to eat no doubt because he Intends that we live forever. But again, we read about the tree of life as a promise that Jesus gave in Revelation 2, verse 7. He said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, true believers, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. But outside, verse 15, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves, and practices a lie. Outside the city, yeah, way outside, somewhere in the outer darkness is where the lake of fire is. And that's where all unbelievers are. We read about this in Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So outside the city, are going to be all those that are defiled. Remember, those that are defiled will be defiled still and so on. Well, they're going to be in the lake of fire in hell. Way, way out in some remote region of the universe where no light penetrates. This idea of outside our dogs. Dogs were scavengers in the ancient world, never considered unclean. Defiled animals. Uh, Paul also mentions legalists, calls them dogs. The Gentiles were called dogs. It's just a term for unbelievers uh, of any state of defilement. The idea is that outside the city is all defilement. Nothing that is defiled will ever be allowed to enter this city because God is on the throne, and God will not allow anything that is defiled or unholy to come into his presence. And so outside the city you have all the rest of humanity. All those people who love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. All those people who said, we will not have this man rule over us. Those like Henley who said, you know, um, it matters not how straight the gate nor how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And so God says, fine, be the captain of your soul out in the utter darkness. You don't want me. You didn't want me as your God. You didn't want to bow the knee to my lordship in your life. You wanted to do your own thing. I wanted to have fellowship with you forever. You didn't want any part of me. Outside you go. And so that will be where they will spend eternity. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Well, right there we have a, a indication of both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Interesting. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root of David. The root of David means I brought forth David. I made David. But I'm also the offspring of David. How is that possible? Because God became man by the Holy Spirit, placing the seed of God, Jesus Christ, in the womb of Mary, who was the descendant of David. And so David, Jesus, and this confused the Pharisees, by the way. You know, he gave them fits, you know. They always thought that they were going to trap him, you know. and do He always turned the tables, right? And uh, after a few times of trying to trap him, you know, and he always turned the tables on them. He says, I got a question for you now. Oh, okay. David, uh, the Messiah, okay. Whose son is he? Who is he going to be? Whose son is he going to be? And they said, uh, the son of David. Well, then how can David in the Spirit call him Lord? If he is going to be his son... How can he be his Lord? See, in that patriarchal culture, a father never called his son Lord. The son always called the father Lord, right? And here the Jesus was giving these Pharisees or Sadducees fits by saying, Look, what does the scripture say about the Messiah? Whose son is he going to be? Well, the son of David. Well then, how does David in the Psalms call him Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my footstool until I make at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How can he be David's son, but David calls him Lord? And after that, they dared ask him no more questions <laughs> because they didn't understand Messiah was going to be both God and man. See, that's the idea. That's what he was getting at. Now the idea of morning star. He calls himself the bright. And morning star. Warren Worsby says, The morning star announces dawn's soon arrival. Jesus Christ will come for his church as the morning star. But when he returns to judge, it will be as the sun of righteousness and burning fury, quoting Malachi 4, verses 1 through 3. Because God's people look for their Lord's return, they keep their lives clean and dedicated to him. So he is the bright and morning star. He is going to show up at the dawn of a new day. Yes, a new kingdom age, the millennial kingdom. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Well, obviously, this is the final invitation in the Bible for sinners to come to Jesus and be saved. We see invitations all the way through the scriptures, and they're always prefaced with the word, what? Come. Not go, come. I disagree with those who say that God has decided for all of us what we're going to believe. Those of us He has ordained to eternal life, we're going to believe whether we like it or not. Those that He has reprobated to hell for all eternity without ever having a chance to be saved... That's the way it is, because God is God. He can do what he wants. He can make all these people and choose a small percentage to be saved and say, the rest of you, you're doomed to spend eternity in hell. But if that was true, God wouldn't be saying, come. We didn't have a free will, what would he be saying? Go. Do. He's the puppet master. I'm the puppet. I mean, if that's the way it really is and I have no free will in the matter, then God isn't telling me, come. He's not inviting. He's commanding. And that's not what he does here. These invitations are all throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, and without price. He's talking about salvation. He's basically saying, come to me, and I'll satisfy you. You know, food, okay, satisfies. Wine, an emblem of joy. You don't have to have any money. You just come to me. Receive my son is what he's saying and you'll be satisfied, and you'll have joy. You won't be filled with wine. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. John 7, verse 37. says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Matthew 11, verse 20, 28. Come to me, all you who are Weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is the last invitation of the Bible. The last invitation to come before it's too late is the idea. While there's still time, come. Salvation's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. Just come, believe. I want to save you. I want to I want to keep you from what's coming. Even as Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God wants us to come. He wants us to come before it's too late. I'll wait until I see the Lord, and I stand in heaven, and then I'll, I'll know you guys are right, and I'll talk to the Lord. He'll let me in. If you wait to see His face, it's too late. It's too late. Come and receive salvation before it's too late. Verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You think it's a serious thing to tamper with the word of God? It's interesting that... Years ago, back in the 80s, Reader's Digest decided to come out with a condensed Bible. I forgot what they called it. Anybody remember that? It was a condensed Bible. They, they wanted to take out all what they thought was extraneous information for the fast-paced person who doesn't have a lot of time to read all that. So they decided they were going to whittle it down to a nice little bite-sized piece. And they whittled Revelation to pieces. And they also took out this last part, too. <laughs> You would imagine, right? But this is something that God throughout the entire scripture warns us against. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, speaking to Moses now. Nor take it nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Later in Deuteronomy 12 verse 32. Whatever I command you be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is what? Is pure. is perfect, right? Psalm 19. The testimony of the Lord is perfect. The word of God is perfect. Whatever people try to add to it or take away from it in an effort to make it better, they don't make it better. They tamper with something that's pure and perfect. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And what did we just read about the lake of fire? Who's going to spend eternity there? All what? Yeah. You better read that again. Anybody who wants to mess with the word of God. You know, heretics down through the centuries have added to, taken away from, and twisted the scriptures to their own destruction. We know that. But, let me say this. No true believer would ever deliberately tamper with Scripture. I know that we as true believers have a reverence for the Word of God and a holy fear, right? I mean, God forbid that I should take out my scissors like Thomas Jefferson did when he made his own Bible. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. I've got a copy of a, of a you know, of a, what do you call reproduction of it. He didn't like miracles. He thought they were couldn't possibly be. So he took out all references of the supernatural in the Gospels and left all the ethical stuff in. Love your neighbor and so on and so forth, which is good stuff. But who do we think we are that we can edit God's word? I mean, when you, ha- have, when you feel that you can do something like that, you do not have the Holy Spirit within you. Nobody who really has the Holy Spirit in them and is a true child of God could ever do something like that. We have a holy fear. We love the word. You know, what did the psalmist say? Oh, how I love your law, O Lord. It is my food day and night. We who know the Lord love his word and we would never try to add to it or take away from it. Those are things that unbelievers do. And God says, if you do those things, it proves you're an unbeliever and I will punish you. All right, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. A true understanding of Bible prophecy should both motivate us to obey what God has said, but also to share it, with others why do you think what is one of the big reasons why God told us things that were going to happen so we could be ready they wouldn't take us by surprise and we could share with others and so when people say I don't get into prophecy I have to say then you don't really you're not really watching for the Lord and where is the motivation for your evangelism because I think the book of Revelation is a phenomenal evangelistic book You can't study this book. I tell you what, I have been brought to tears many times as I have studied this book to teach you because of the awesome things coming upon the earth and upon my loved ones if they don't repent and receive Christ. It has motivated me to pray for them, to witness to them, because I know what's coming. And that's something that we all should take to heart. And John finishes with these words in verse 21, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Do you realize the last verse of the Old Testament ends this way? Malachi 4, verse 6. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Yet the last book of the New Testament ends. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. The last words of the Bible are not wrath and judgment, Their grace. I think the words of John Newton would be a a fitting end where he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Folks, if you've studied this book with us and you've come away thinking that this book is all about curses and death and judgment etc. You've missed the point. The purpose of this book is not to exalt judgment. It's to tell you that there's still time for you to receive the grace of God and be saved from all this. It's a warning, isn't it? Right now is the age of grace. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You may not get tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Time is short, Jesus said. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Come before it's too late, the last invitation of the Bible, and drink of the waters of life freely. This is all about a loving God pouring his heart out to mankind, saying, I'm a righteous and holy God. I have to punish sin. That's a given. I have to. Otherwise, I would cease being a righteous God. But I love you so much, I didn't want you to have to be judged. And that's why I restrain my wrath in my long suffering because I don't want to see anyone perish. I want to see all come to repentance. That's what the book of Revelation is really all about. It's a book really speaking of the love of God who sent his son to die for us so that we would not have to die ourselves forever in a horrible place called the lake of fire where the worm is never, never dies and the fire is never quenched and the smoke of their torment ascends day and night forever and ever. They have no rest. God doesn't want us to come to that awful place That's why he sent his son. So may God give us the grace now to live what we have learned. And may we take it to the people of this world because the time is truly short. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Grace that opened our eyes, that saved wretches like us. Father, thank you that you are a righteous God. And as a righteous and holy God, you have to punish sin. But because you love sinners, you sent your Son who took our penalty upon himself and died in our place, that no one should have to to perish in hell, but that all would come and find everlasting life through Jesus. Father, touch our loved ones especially and open their eyes. Father, impress upon them. The time is short. Don't give them rest, Lord. Don't give them peace, Father, cause them to live in a constant state of anxiety and turmoil at what is coming, even though they may not understand what it is. They sense something is coming. And Father, break them of their pride. Break them of the self-will that keeps them walking their own way instead of bowing the knee to your Lordship. Father, do what you have to do to bring our loved ones to you before it's too late. Give us grace, Lord, to live our faith, to not hide out our light under a a bushel, but to take it into all the world, to stand for truth, to love your word, to embrace it, and to share it. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse by verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.